Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Abib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and exploring profound philosophical, political, and spiritual questions in an engaging and fun way. I'll be exploring those questions with some of the biggest thinkers um, and the most rebellious people of our moment, occultists, journalists, artists, and more. It's a show about imagining a better world and asking the urgent question of what it means to be human. This episode features my conversation with political pundit uh, and voluminously knowledgeable uh, political thinker Jimmy Dore, who is the host of The Jimmy Dore Show. Jimmy has been on my radar for a long time because he's one of those people that seems to know everything about the political moment, and he's got the right analysis of it. Um, he is left of left, <laughs> and you know when something comes up in the news, something topical, whether it's about Syria or it's about uh, elections or it's about Trump or the sort of new liberal savior that we're all supposed to love, Jimmy has a really great way of sort of looking beyond the story, beyond what's just being fed to us and saying, what's going on here? Which is why I love talking to Jimmy so much. He's also extremely funny. Uh, you'll see on the show that when Jimmy gets going, uh, the passion really just wells up in him and he just goes right for it. And, you know, you almost can't stop himself sometimes, which is something I really admire about him because it means his mind is always going and he's really, really invested in this project of making the world a better place by bringing the right compassionate and ethical perspective to the political realm. This is the place where uh, on other podcasts we talk about uh, some app you should get to make your website better. And if you click now uh, and use my code, you'll get 20% off. And I would go on and on about it for like 20 minutes before I start the show. I think sponsors are great. It would be nice to have some. But really, I also... Uh, really love the fact that I fund this show just through listener and viewer support. Uh, it's funded through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. And the reason why I fund it through Patreon is because conversations like these are hard to find sponsors for because they go so deep and sometimes they touch on really radical topics, as you'll see in this episode with Jimmy Dore. When you sign up for Patreon, you pledge a small or wildly large, which I also encourage, amount uh, every month and you get cool stuff for it as well. So you're contributing to the mission of bringing these deep conversations and inspiring deep conversations and deep thinking in the world. And you're also getting cool stuff. You can get t-shirts, you can get access to the against everyone salon where me and uh, a bunch of other patrons, uh, will talk about issues, uh, or topics that are curated by me every month. Um, you can also get, you know, cool stuff like curated lists from me um, of books that I think you should read, um, movies I think you should see, my favorite podcast appearances, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Beeb and do support the show. I rely on your support. And also, I think it is really the best way to have a kind of economic relationship is just to support things that you like, that you care about. And I will just continue to give this great, I think, podcast to you. <laughs> so thank you so much. Patreon.com forward slash Connor Beeb. Thank you for listening. Um, and here we go. Here's my conversation with Jimmy Dore. 
right, everybody. Hello. I'm here with Jimmy Dore. Hi. Hi. Pleasure <laughs> to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I wanted to just sort of jump right into it okay. and talk about uh, censorship and the smear campaign. We'll start, we'll start with the smear um, of you being a far-left conspiracy oh, theorist, that thing. So what, what happens is... If you're an independent news person, that, which I, now, I am now, I was just a nightclub comedian, right? And um, the news does such a horrible job that I could actually do their job better, uh-huh. which, is, which is pathetic. Uh-huh. Right? And so what I do is I'll tell the truth about war, right, which they never do, right? They lied about Libya. They lied about Iraq. They lied about... Uh, why are we still in Afghanistan? What the hell are we doing now? Mm-hmm. Right. And so and Syria, they lied about Syria. And so if you tell this, so when they launch a conspiracy about Syria, like, oh, Assad is gassing his own people. Right. And uh, which makes no sense to anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then if you point that out, they'll go, oh, Jimmy Dore's an Assad apologist. Right. Right. Which I've been called. Or he's a, 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 a conspiracy theorist. Or those, so that's what CNN did. Right. Yeah. They stay smart. So what's happening is that news on YouTube is getting very popular. Like we got really popular. Right. Uh, the Young Turks is like four or five million subscribers. My show has a uh, hundred and sixty million views. You know, I mean, so people are craving real news and the truth mm-hmm. and you can't get it right uh, during the 2016 uh, primary election with Bernie Sanders, MSNBC was not allowed to cover Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. This is this is as reported by Ed Schultz, who was then fired by MSNBC for covering Bernie Sanders. Right. So uh, the first in the Gulf War, uh, the Iraq War, Phil Donahue was the only guy who was against it on MSN. Him and Jesse Ventura, uh, they fired both those guys. Mm-hmm. So. Here we come along, these YouTube people, uh, we start telling the truth about war and what have you, and uh, we're stealing all their audience. Their audience on CNN and MSNBC is geriatric. Nothing wrong with being geriatric. We all hope we get there. But they're not attractive to advertisers, right? So after you hit 50 years old, you're, you're, you're what we call your brand loyal. So it's hard to shift you off a brand. So that's why advertisers like to advertise to younger people, right? Because they're more flexible and those true switch brands, right? And uh, so their average age of the viewer at CNN, now check my numbers on this, but it's going to be right around 70 years old, Uh right? So it's like, I think MSNBC is 67, CNN might be. So they're all very, it's skewing very old senior citizens, right? So they're not valuable uh, to advertisers. So CNN starts writing these articles trying to scare advertisers away from YouTube. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, right? And so, uh, like, for instance, they, they put me in, a, in an article with um, uh, uh, an admitted pedophile and an admitted Nazi, yeah. right? So this guy has a Nazi channel and this guy has an admitted pedophile. And Jimmy Dore, it's like, what the whoa? <laughs> They're just thrown in at the end, right? So, yeah, yeah. and so that's yeah. to scare advertisers off of these shows, yeah. And uh, so they feel a threat. Also, uh, also, you know, the what Ed Schultz also revealed, but we knew before, is that the political machines are wedded to the to the news outlets. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not actually adversarial. Right. They actually it's all about access journalism. And there's a famous clip by uh, the, that. Well, it's famous on my show where Chuck Todd was on with 
Lewis Black, right? And Lewis Black said to Chuck Todd, I don't know how you talk to these people. I would just go crazy. And Chuck Todd says, well, that's why you don't, you know, you don't bark uh, too much because you might not get that rebooking. Huh. He just admitted the game. The right. game is you have you, you 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 be nice to famous people so they'll come on your show and you ask them softball questions so they'll come back on your show. Not so that you'll ever ask them a tough question and get a real interview. Yeah. It's just so that's what this is. So now the censorship is really starting to happen. Uh, they, it's, so when, when, it, when, when they did it to Alex Jones, everybody was cheering it. Yeah. And there was only a handful of people sticking up for a principle of, hey, you can deplatform Alex Jones, but your process has to be transparent. Right. And it wasn't. It, it's, it's, and then, and then, and we were right. I said, this is just setting the table. They're coming after you next. If you talk against the war. And so who, do you, the Atlantic Council are the people who are censoring Facebook right now. So they're the outside firm that Facebook is using. And you know who's on that? A bunch of warmongers, right? A bunch of uh, Bill Crystal, Henry Kissinger, yeah, people yeah. like this. Yeah. And so they go, get rid of all those left-wing Facebook pages, and they did. They got rid of 800 Facebook pages. And, every, and, and did you hear any screaming about it? No. All these people screaming about Jim Acosta right now, getting his microphone uh -huh. taken away, this grandstanding fucking self... <laughs> Anyway, so Jim, I don't have <laughs> no no respect to Jim Acosta. Yeah. He's just lucky Trump is there to make him look good. Right. But, you know, if those people really cared about journalism, they would worry about the 800 independent news pages that just got nixed. Or how about Julian Assange is being persecuted for publishing right now, for yeah. doing exactly, you know, that movie, um, The Post, right? Uh -huh. So Meryl Streep played uh, the publisher. And the whole thing was, if I publish, I'll go, well, Julian Assange is the publisher. And they're publishing... Uh, uh, explosive material. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who got it. If you get it, if he got it, he can publish. So that shows you the bullshit. That's why my show is popular, and that's why um, uh, uh, people listen to my show and people are d desperate for the truth. Mm. Is because you can't get it from the mainstream or the establishment right now. It's funny. I watched a whole panel of all the actors, writers, and, and, and director of uh, The Post was on a panel talking about whistleblowers, and they somehow said Daniel Ellsberg is different than Julian Assange. Well, guess what? Daniel Ellsberg doesn't say he's any different. Right, right, right. Only because he was vindicated by history ultimately. Right, yeah, ultimately. So like, but he when they finally had to admit it, then then they yeah. like let it go. Well, I mean, and, I think, and let me just also say this: yeah, yeah. the biggest purveyor of fake news is the government, and it's always been the biggest purveyor of yeah. fake news and bullshit, right? So every war in my lifetime has been a phony fucking bullshit war. Yeah. You know, whether it was the Panama invasion, <laughs> whether it was Vietnam, whether it was the first Gulf War, people don't know that George Herbert Walker Bush, they put, talk about a conspiracy. They said that the Iraqi... Moment, moment of non-silence. The, <laughs> they say the Iraqi soldiers were taking babies out of incubators in Kuwait uh -huh. and throwing them on the ground and letting them die. So that actually turned public opinion for the war. Yeah. Before that, people didn't want to go to war in Iraq and in Kuwait. After they came up with that bullshit scenario, which was, by the way, thought up by a PR firm, right, which uh -huh. the Carlisle Group later acquired. Carlisle Group, George Herbert Walker Bush is a member. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, people don't know that that was a... Funded by big incubator money, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, but, people well, still don't know that really happened. The, both Iraq uh, wars we were lied into. Yeah. Complete lies, complete conspiracies, and it came from the government. The fake news comes from the government. Well, the well, the justification for going to war is always like a bullshit. Of like, course. For, for, for the most... So, so 
whether or well, not the, like, infra- the supporting information is there, you know, the fact that there's no discussion about why we should do this in the first place is a problem. But I want to say, like, just like going all the way back to what you first said about, okay, well, people are so desperate for the truth. There's this like great Salvador Dali quote where he says, like, mm-hmm. it is not that it's not that, I, you know, I'm the greatest there is, but it's not because I'm particularly great. It's because everybody else is so awful, right? Like, <laughs> yes. you just like the fact that you could do. And I'm not saying you're doing this. I think you go well above and beyond this. But the fact that you could do the bare minimum and ask a basic question and then be branded as a conspiracy theorist. Oh, it's amazing. Something. So, so we've gotten down to that root level of like yeah. any interrogation at a radical, meaning real root level is a problem. So if you lie on the behalf of the establishment, you'll never be called a name. Right. You'll never be discredited. Like, so right now there was this article in the in the. Like, Russiagate is a big conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. And as we, we predicted, uh, they're, they're getting people on crimes that have nothing to do with the core case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're getting people on money laundering or tax evasion, which is what they got Manafort. Or, or they got um, uh, lying to the FBI, which is what they got fucking Flynn doing, right? So, but none of it has to be all predicted. This is how they always go, by the way, right. um, these in, investigations. And so The Guardian, which has become, you know, just... Uh, you know, this is going to sound crazy to people, but if you look up on YouTube, the church committee hearing. So that was in the 70s. There was a committee hearing. There was committee, the church committee, which investigated the CIA's infiltration of our news media. And it turns out it was fucking ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't think the same thing's happening again right now? Of course it is. Right. So uh, the so then the Guardian writes this article smearing Julian Assange and putting him together with Manafort said Manafort came and visited him three times except there's no pictures of it there's no video right. and it's the most video building in the world the Ecuadorian embassy in London right and they don't have a picture by the way he wasn't even logged in so they wrote this bullshit story it's by this guy Luke Harding who's been writing nothing but bullshit stories uh, about Russiagate <laughs> and so we debunked it along with a million other fucking places, not a million, but a couple other places also debunked yeah. it so loudly and so clearly that the Guardian started to backtrack on their story, right? Then Politico has a former CIA person under a fake name write an article in Politico that said if Guardian wrote a fake article about Julian Assange and Manafort, that it was because Russia... Uh-huh. Russia uh-huh. tricked them. Uh-huh. I mean, this yeah. is how crazy that those it's are conspiracy the, theories. Yeah. And that's the establishment. That's the mainstream press that's fucking doing that. <laughs> and it's ha- and so right. uh, it, we're in eight wars. People have no idea. So, I mean, I think that <laughs> so when we just sort of pull back from that and say, OK, so you're a conspiracy, a quote unquote, conspiracy theorist for saying that. But of course, the Russiagate thing is a tremendous at least media conspiracy amongst other things, but I had Robbie Martin on the show and we just sort of broke down all the neocons and all the other people that were pushing for this xenophobic Russian narrative to sort of regain some grounding. And, uh, you know, like you have people like David Frum writing, you know, David cover Frum. stories for the Atlantic. The original the conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. right? Exactly. All those guys who lied us into Iraq never went to prison for it. Right. And now they're pointing their finger at other people. Yeah. So there's, um, so there's a difference between using a conspiracy and trying to 
unveil right. <laughs> the, the ones that are happening. Right. right. Trying to so we literally yeah. are debunking the conspiracy, the Russia gate conspiracy, yes. and, and it's it's just amazing, right? You, you, it makes you realize. And by the way, people say, "Oh, you're a Trump apologist." No, I just I'm not going to allow Trump to steal my critical thinking skills. Yeah. And what we should be examining is the biggest election fraud that ever happened in this country, which was the 2016 primary. But we're not. What have we been talking about? Uh-huh. We've been talking about fucking Russia. And guess what? Democratic candidates didn't talk about in the run up to the election. Fucking Russia. You know why? Because they know nobody gives a shit about it. Right. Because Russia didn't make 80 percent of people in America live paycheck to paycheck. Russia didn't make 30 million Americans go without health care. Russia didn't make 64 percent of Americans not be able to afford a thousand dollar emergency. Fifty percent of all wage earners are less than thirty thousand dollars a year. Russia didn't do fucking any of that. And that's what the Democratic Party doesn't want you talking about. Right. It doesn't want you talking about the failures of the Democratic Party, neoliberalism, Obamacare leaves out 30 million fucking people. And that's the thing they're fighting for. And you wonder why people voted for Trump. People voted for Trump because they tried eight years of Obama and he fucking made shit worse for them. He ex- made the banks bigger. He kicked 5.1 million people out of their fucking houses. He, he, uh, he opened the drilling, uh, the Arctic to drilling twice. Yeah, the yeah. income gap got worse. Unions got fucked. Occupy Wall Street got their heads cracked from coast to coast. And he did that all at the behest of fucking corporate America. And so he let the union get taken away from the teachers in Wisconsin. He yeah. didn't fucking put on that soft shoe. So they did that for eight years. People are still hurting. They're still, what's happening in France right now is, mm-hmm. uh, it, so I had an economist, Mark Blythe, on my show and he said, you know, Trump is not a, it's not a local event. This isn't just happening in America. This is neoliberalism's. This is globalism's failure. So it's failing in Greece, as we know. Yeah, it's failing right. in Italy right now. France right now, it's failing. They're they've, they're setting the country on fire under got, the under the neoliberal hero uh, Macron. Macron, right? <laughs> like, yeah, leadership. So literally, everybody celebrated his rise to power. Yes, too. it was ridiculous. Yeah. He was sixty percent approval when he got in. He's yeah. down in twenty percent right now. Yeah. And you know why? Because he came in and he repealed the wealth tax, and then he put taxes on poor people. Yeah. And he started taxing people's pensions and he started to try to privatize their health care. And people are fucking not having it. Yeah. People are just like in America having a hard time making it to the end of the month. Right. And so that's not just again, that's not a local event. So Brexit, Trump, uh, France, mm-hmm. uh, what happened in Greece. These are not look. This is this is globalism. And now where people are getting a look at it. And it's this version of capitalism that is failing world fucking wide. It's failing. Yeah. So I want to I want to get into all the reasons why those kinds of things are happening and why people allow or maybe even want, want them to happen. But I want to get back. I want to make sure we um, talk about the censorship thing a little bit. Oh, more because, sure. Because so for somebody who does advocacy for sex workers like this to me is nothing new or no surprise. Right? So. So, yeah. So if you're I don't know how much you know about this, but if if you're a sex worker, you can't use PayPal. You can have your bank account closed. You can't use uh, all these different payment processors, Venmo, obviously, which is owned by PayPal, but all these other. You can obviously have your site shut down at a whim because you show your butt or something like this. So when you know when that's set into motion, like you had a there's an obscenity bill um, that created an opt-in model for porn that was sort of uh, started in 2013 and is now going into effect this year. So when they did that in the UK, 
they uh, <laughs> what you have to do is get an ID card essentially to say I want porn, or you have to call your internet provider and say I'm 18 and I want porn, right? So there's this sort of surveillance thing going on around wanting to get adult content on the original list in 2013 for the things that could be blocked on the internet, um, and you had to opt in for. It wasn't just adult content; it was also. <laughs> uh, uh, political dissent. No kidding. The occult. Um, eating disorders was another weird one for some bizarre reason. Why I don't, that, just... one, that one was completely <laughs> weird. So now, now that is all finally starting to unravel. Now, I don't think that those things are on the list anymore. But so you have something like uh, the Tumblr ban of porn that happened earlier this week. I'm not sure exactly when this episode is going to go on, but or it happened last week where all porn was taken off of Tumblr and then Facebook and Instagram revised their uh, terms of service. So on Facebook, you can't say anything that direct, directly solicits sex. You can't say looking for a good time anymore. That's actually like in the <laughs> in thing. So it's part of it's related to this uh, SESTA-FOSTA law that went into effect earlier this year that was voted in earlier this year um, that links that makes all websites responsible for anything that looks like sex work, which they confuse for sex trafficking. But why I bring all this up is to say when people get pissed off at someone like, you know, oh, Alex Jones got banned or Laura fucking Loomer, who cares, she's worthless, right? Like when people get upset about that, I'm like, look, there's a whole class of people that have been pushing like <laughs> to make sure that censorship didn't happen, like their lives depended on it because they do because it's their labor and nobody says shit about it ever, right? And so then these things happen and people who aren't sex workers are very surprised, like, oh my gosh, and like, you don't know how bad it can get. This can be linked to, you know, there's something called Operation Choke Point where they started uh, closing porn actors' bank accounts because it was related, quote-unquote, to chargebacks or whatever. But these these places, these spaces of censorship are often testing grounds. They use sex and they use sex workers as testing grounds to see what else they can do to everybody else. So if you just sort of look at that, you can see what's coming for everybody. So well, I don't give a shit about Alex Jones. It's like, well, that no, sucks, but there's... Right, I know you don't. No, I don't <laughs> but like, there are other people we can talk about right. that actually need more of a voice and more representation than someone like him. Right, you know? right. He was just the most, you know, visible person. The loudest, for sure. And and so they wanted to make, they wanted to get everybody on board with censorship. So they wanted after a real easy target that most people don't like. Yeah. And so then every, now you're on board. Now here we go. Boom. And then 800 pages taken down. There was a right. cop watch yeah. page. People who, who, who all they're doing is documenting police brutality. Page gone. Yeah. And there was BDS stuff taken off as well, right? Like there was... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar. Oh, okay. I just know about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing about they can they can stop you from making money. I I learned that when pot stores opened in California, you would go and I'd have to pay cash because a bank wouldn't give them wouldn't let them process credit cards. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so you need a bank on board with your pot store. Well, you need I need a bank on board to do what I'm doing. Right. Right. So yeah. uh, who who owns Patreon? I'm sure it's an oligarch who who wants to shut me down for telling the truth. Uh -huh. I'm sure PayPal is owned by that Olimar guy. Right. Isn't it? Who's it owns? I don't know who owns it anymore. But yeah, um, I mean, even back like in the beginning, that was true of them. You know what I mean? Was, yeah. Like Peter Thiel's like, yeah, you know, any. So any again, and I tried to warn people, we can't allow uh, uh, unaccountable billionaire Silicon Valley billionaires to determine what free speech is, and everybody seemed to be okay with it. I'm like, no, it had. There has to be a transparent process and a uh, uh, a, a uniform 
uh, consistency. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, on the one hand, there's the silencing, right? But then that creates this vacuum that gets filled with other stuff. So I want to say, like, what's what's being, you know, what's being put in place there? So the the mainstream media then takes up these sort of justice narratives on their own, and I think it's, like, always a disaster. So um, since Trump has been president, we've seen, like, uh, <laughs> a re-emergence of love for the CIA and the FBI, because oh. people hate him. The, there's, uh, well, there was, get, getting back to our earlier theme of conspiracies, yeah. Robert Mueller pushed the Iraq war conspiracy. Uh, yeah, I know. And so, now everybody, they're doing rallies for the guy. I know, he was like the runner-up from, you know, person of the year on time or whatever. It's amazing. Then you have, um, like, when tra- trans people were banned from the military, then suddenly there was no way to talk about that in a nuanced way of saying, oh, you know, maybe the military is a big fucking problem, you know? Like, even t- today somebody, this journalist, posted this thing with uh, five guys sitting at a desk, and they were, you know, giving a presentation for the for uh, gender equality in the military. And he was like, well, spot the problem. Like, what's the problem? These are all men, but, like, you know, there are no women at the table when we're talking about gender diversity in the military. He said, spot the problem. And I wrote, uh, they're all part of the killing machine? Like, <laughs> that's, that's the problem, Maybe you know? Maybe that's the problem. And so, um, so it's like the way that certain then... Uh, which should be leftist or progressive agendas are taken up by the mainstream to sort of cycle back into these structures of power and make them, you know, the beloved instruments of progress again. And that really worries me. People love the CIA and the FBI more than they ever have under Trump because it's become oppositional. Just like when the fucking North Korea thing happened and that all went okay and people were like, no, you should go to war with North Korea. (laughs) Like, that was insane. So that's called a Attacking Trump from the right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people say the same thing. They wanted him to bomb more in, in Syria. And it's like, do you realize that you you sound like Henry Kissinger? <laughs> you're not supposed to be cheering. First of all, they say Trump's a madman and he shouldn't be allowed nuclear bomb. And then they say you should bomb more. Right, <laughs> right, right. Totally. Well, which is it? Well, it's yeah. whatever suits our argument at the moment because Trump freaks people out so badly mm-hmm. that he be. It was traumatizing for a lot of people. And a lot of it's it been the undoing of a lot of journalists. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, they'll never be in trouble for like Rachel Maddow. Her whole show is one long conspiracy theory with zero evidence, and it's been going on for two years now, and she's totally. got the number one show, and so she'll never be have to pay a price for that because what she's doing is at the behest of the establishment. Yeah, yeah. So, But if you did a, 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 the opposite, I mean, I, even though every freaking week it comes out that uh, there is no evidence for this, just like what, like, by the way, I got no dog in this hunt. If Trump colluded with Russia, I'd like to hear, I'd like to see the evidence. Sure. I'd like to report it. I got no dog. I don't give a F one way or the other. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But that- you were prioritized. You were prioritized. Like I, the thing I've said about the Russia stuff it was, all along is like, okay, maybe something. I have no fucking clue, but. But am I going to prioritize that when, like, why don't we talk about the U.S. voting system? Why don't we talk right. about all the other things? You're exactly we right. We talk about all the ways that we've interfered with other elections. Yes. And, like, the number of times we've, like, overthrown democratically right. elected, elected candidates in other countries. So, right. to me, some minor, like, oh, they were creating bots on Facebook to lie to people. Like, do you get that? Like, remember the Twitter message that was, like, you've interacted with bots known to be related to Russia? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Like, yeah. I mean. 
it, that to me is like so deprioritized compared to policies. Well, of course. Well, that was the big you get everybody. Hey, it's it's like a magic trick. Look over here. Don't look over there. Yeah. And so everybody look at Russia. Don't look over at what I said before. The country's dying economically. Neoliberalism's killing everybody. And by the way, the Democrats are in bed with the same people the Republicans are. Mm-hmm. They're both pro-war. They're both in bed with big pharma. That's why nobody's getting Medicare for. So they don't want you to talk. And by the way, they rigged their own primaries against the populist Bernie, Bernie Sanders, uh-huh. who had answers that people want. You know you know, nine out of ten goddamn Democrats want Medicare for all. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer ain't going to give it to us. Uh-huh. Nine out of ten. You know, majority of Republicans want Medicare for all, and we ain't getting it. You, so the majority of the country, we ain't getting it. Why? Because they're corrupt. Right. Yeah. They're a hundred percent corrupted. That's why we don't have nice things in this country, <laughs> and they don't want people like me talking about it. And uh, I catch more shit from the Democrats than I do from the Republicans because I think it's the Democrats' failure. People think we had a left-wing government with Barack Obama. For eight years, we did not. Yeah, no. Barack Obama admitted mm-hmm. that his policies were moderate Republican policies. He was being accused. He was doing this. I think it was was it with Venezuela. It was doing a, a TV show, a foreign country, and they were saying, "Hey, your critics say you're a socialist." And he said, "Oh, come on, no one believes that. If you look at my policies, they would be considered <laughs> they would be considered moderate Republican." I'm not kidding. That's another famous in clip a, from a, this show. In a stunning moment of honesty. <laughs> so, so we we so so I, the joke I do about it is like, well, you know, they say it's really important to vote. Celebrities always tell me you got to vote. Yeah. And like last time, it, well, this is when I wrote. The joke last time it was Barack Obama against Mitt Romney and it was really important to vote because you know if Mitt Romney was going to win we'd get Romney care but Barack Obama won so we got <laughs> Romney care right yeah totally well anybody that lived in Massachusetts knew that that whole thing was just total mm-hmm. bullshit that whole opposition was total bullshit His plan lives I lived out 30, in, yeah I lived in Massachusetts when that went into effect out 30 I was like, mil- this is the same thing what kind of a plan leaves <laughs> out 30 million people and you don't even give people the ability to buy in there's no public option right yeah. so there's no it's uh, it's a big capitalist gangbang, and so it didn't really matter who got elected. If it was John McCain or Barack Obama, right. they would have did the same goddamn thing. When it came to war, the war he expanded the wars. Mm-hmm. When it came to the banks, he expanded the fucking banks. Yeah. When it came to drilling, he expanded drilling. Barack Obama, I just played on my show this week, he's bragging about that the biggest oil production in the history of our country happened under his presidency. And these are the people who are wagging their finger at Trump for pulling us out of the Paris climate change accords. They're the people who are bragging about producing more oil than ever. So this is why we're in the position we're in. And so what I like to focus on in my show is not necessarily Trump, but the causes of Trump. Because once Trump goes away, People are still going to be hurting in America. 30 million people are still right. going to be without right. fucking health care. And we're still looking for an answer. And if we don't have one from the left, which is with a real left, mm-hmm. right, not Nancy Pelosi, we don't give them an answer. They're going to go to a guy who's worse than Trump. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's really important to like just taking what you just said, consider the fact, which I don't think a lot of people have done outside this dumb Russiagate thing. What if we one, right? Like what if we somehow, all the pushing we do, it actually does change or just sort of hook into a national consciousness already and starts to actually push us towards something that could make a real systemic difference. 
because what's happening now is we're depending on the Russiagate thing or some other magical like the like the Oscars when someone said La La Land but really it was Moon <laughs> Moonlight yeah, like yeah. like some oh Hillary's actually president or whatever like <laughs> some sort of like crazy rescue strategy. But what happens when you depend on that is there are people who have trained their entire lives and been paid their entire lives to move into moments of confusion and like seize power and direct it however they want. So if we're not talking about what to actually do when we get to that place, we'll just get there and it'll be like taken up by the people that are in power yes, instantly. You are, anyway. cor- you are correct. So you, so you have to plan. Yeah, yeah. You And you have to plan as if you're going to win, too. Right. Because you know? right. there's all this like the resistance, but when you're just resisting something, you're also completely dependent res- on it. They're just resisting Trump, the resistance. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're not resisting the shit that the... Uh, the neoliberals want to do or the shit that gave us Trump. Again, Trump is going to go away and we're still going to have all these problems. And that's what I'm trying to keep people focused on. Because if we don't keep focused on the real problems, uh, then the next Trump will be worse. Right. But, and it's amazing how people blame Susan Sarandon. They blame everything. So stupid. I, Hillary, Hillary Clinton spent $2 billion, $2 billion on, <laughs> on her campaign. Uh, outspent Trump two to one. <laughs> And she still lost. Maybe she's just a horrible fucking unlikable. Yeah, well, a, the thing you say, I've heard you say often, where you're like, who the fuck blames the voters? For- the voters? Well, those guys really let me down. I'm sorry. Who, who goes out and gives a concession speech? I lost tonight. I hope you're happy. You fucking guys lost. Right. Yeah, right. You lost it for me. Totally. That's what Hillary's message is. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, it's also completely out of touch with what also happened where if you've ever seen that graphic that's like if didn't vote were a candidate and it was yeah. like <laughs> swept ever there was like one state i think that actually had right. donald trump winning but it swept all the other states and it was like there's a reason why people have decided not to participate as well and some of it is like a decision not to participate sure some of it's just people that are like oh, i don't fucking want to vote but a lot of it is like i don't want to be part of that or i'm too busy keeping my head above water to go and, you know, participate in this. You are correct. And right after the 2016 election of Trump, uh, the New York Times, which sometimes does good work, uh, they'll, they'll all, they will always push every war. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. Uh, they they sent a reporter to barbershops in Milwaukee, right, to find mm. out what the F happened. And they interviewed uh, minorities, African-Americans, immigrants uh, in barbershops, and they said... Uh, we voted for Barack Obama eight years ago, and our lives got worse. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and he did nothing for us. And now you want us to vote for Hillary Clinton, who put half of us in prison, right, because of the crime bill and then NAFTA. Mm. And it's like, no, that's not. So, so uh, I remember in this one barbershop, there was four guys there. They had all voted for Barack Obama twice. Mm. Uh, two of them didn't vote mm-hmm. in the last election. The two that did voted for someone other than Hillary Clinton. Mm. One of them wrote in Bernie Sanders, and one of them wrote in, I think, his own name. Mm-hmm. So none of them... That's confidence. So <laughs> so you want to know what happened, yeah. why you guys lost to Donald Trump? Why, it wasn't because the country got more racist. Mm. It, Barack Obama won twice handily. 
Right. So, yes, yeah, there's always racism, but you, you couldn't motivate anybody to come out to vote against Donald Trump. You could because you had you weren't offering them anything. Hillary Clinton was she was she was promising that we'd never have Medicare for all. That was well, right. never come to pass. Like, that's what you're most excited about. Telling people the shit that they can't have. Right. If we had to start it all over, maybe I would do that. Maybe, that's what she said. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, I mean, I think it's also just like with the thing with most people not voting is this is so often cast as a division between two groups of people that are somehow diametrically opposed. But actually, in fact, it's everybody, like I say, it's like, it's just that one of, it's just that Donald Trump was less not elected than Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like, the, the, the fact is, most people didn't vote, so it's everybody who voted against everybody else. Like, if you want to cast two parties, like, the real other party is the people it, that are like, fuck you, I don't want to get into this. The you biggest know? voting block in the country is the block of people who don't vote. Yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're, you're saying they outvote both parties every, yeah, I know, that's, and that's a failing, failing of the parties. Yeah. That they can't excite people enough to come mm -hmm. out and vote for them, because they don't think they represent them. What's, because they don't. Mm -hmm. That's the real thing. They don't represent them. People have voted. People People have done the things that they were told to do, and their lives didn't get any better. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you, you hear, you hear you, you, it's, it's a class warfare is what it really is. Yeah. And then when you have somebody that actually goes there, so you had Jill Stein, who <laughs> it turns out is a Russian agent. Um, no, but, <laughs> I mean, I know, that, was, right? that was the low point of Russiagate when they Boy. asked her if she was a Russian agent. But, but uh, when she was so... Uh, uh, apologies if you're like friends with this guy, but like I remember Dave Weigel who wrote for the Washington Post. He like he he did like a whole thing. That Dave was, like, Weigel put a smear piece to hit him hit on me in Washington Post. Oh, okay. Well, he did it to. Well, you'll have to tell me about that. But he did the same thing with her. He's like, we asked Jill Stein what she thought about vaccines. Oh boy. And so of course she all she said was, uh, Oh my hey, god. Of uh, course he can't get the right the story straight. Of course Dave Weigel's gonna fuck up that yeah, story. Yeah. Of course he's not gonna get it right. Dave Weigel. You to be pro Iraq war. Yeah. That's how, and so he, of course he's their lead political reporter. Hey, you get everything wrong in favor of the establishment? Fuck, you got a job for life, yeah, Dave totally. Weigel. Now go out there and smear progressives and act like you're doing honest journalism. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah. Well, so that was, and it was like, okay, so who, who, who is, first of all, why are you asking her this question? Okay, she's a doctor. Has she talked about it in policy? Right. I know, right? It's, it's like, hey, of, can we discredit, how can we discredit her? It's so, it's sort of like the thing where people go up to celebrities like ambush them and they're like what do you think about Trump's economic policy right. like they asked Suzanne Summers that when she's getting into a car she's like I think he's doing a great job. I guess goodbye my career. I don't know. And then she just got in her car. It's like, why the fuck did you ask her? Why do you think she has knows anything about that? When you ask someone like Jill Stein about vaccines, why don't you ask like every other candidate right. the question? But she's the only one that's actually partially qualified to answer the question. So I get it. Except then when she gives an answer, you treat her as unqualified to answer the question. So. She's saying there's corruption inside the pharmaceutical <laughs> yes, uh, industry. The vaccine and we all know that there is corruption inside sure. of it. And that we need to have unbiased people overlooking it. That's all she was saying. Totally. Uh, which is basically the same thing Bernie Sanders was saying, too, uh, when he goes up against uh, the, the, the when, when appointments are made from inside Big Pharma to go head the FDA. 
Yeah. Right. He'll say, I'm sorry, conflict of interest, shit like that. So that's all basically what she was saying. But you're well, it's just like a guy like John Oliver, who most of the time does good work. Uh-huh. And he's he also did that thing where he's married. Oh, you can't think outside of these. You can't you can't vote for anybody who's not a Democrat or Republican. And if someone is a third party, I'm going to smear them, which he did to her when he when she said that we should forgive student debt, uh-huh. which is a great idea. And yeah. lots of economists said that would be a boon for the economy and we could certainly afford it. And so because she's, it's basically. Based on the same system as the housing market, which fucking crashed. You, you can, so. It's based on the system of we can get rid of your debt and now you can go. Pay, it's just putting money into the economy. Is yeah, all yeah, that yeah. Is. right. No, totally. So that just puts yeah. money into the economy. And so you just decide how you want to do it. Well, at the time, they were putting trillions of dollars into the economy via quantitative easing, which is free money to the bank. Uh-huh. Trillions at a time, mm-hmm. free money. And so she said, why don't we do quantitative easing for student debt? If you can do it for the banks, why can't you do it for the people? Which you can. Uh-huh. And then they're like, well, it doesn't work quite that way. And and then John Oliver said, well, you better know how it works, mm-hmm. right? You better. Like, no, she doesn't need to know the ins and outs of fucking <laughs> fractional <laughs> right. reserve banking right. to make that uh, uh, a president. When John F. Kennedy said, by the end of the decade, we're going to go to the moon, was John Oliver saying, you better know how to build a rocket. No, he didn't know how to fucking build it. He doesn't have to be a, bra- a rocket scientist. Right. He hires one, right? right? Totally. So so yeah. Jill Stein doesn't need to be a, a, a expert on fractional reserve banking or whatever that word is. I don't even know what it is. She hires someone who is, and I have a vision, and my vision is we're going to fucking take care of these student loans. <laughs> right, right. That's what we're going to do. Instead of spending the money on the yeah. banks, we're going to spend the money on the fucking people, which you can 100% do right well so that's an example of the way it's like the ethical consideration is lost in the tactical discussion always right so like you like remember that moment oh gosh he was a religion professor so the one of the recent massacres of protesters in in palestine and they had a this uh Gosh, he was a theologian. I'm gonna have to. I'll put his name in the show notes. But uh, he was on one of these horrible news networks, and they were like, "How's this gonna look for Trump? How's he gonna pivot it? How's he blah blah blah?" And this guy, he like kind of broke down. He's like, "People were just killed. Like these are children. Yeah, these are babies." And everybody just kind of shut up. It was this really right. shattering moment. Everybody shut up because the way that that the way that it always works is let's talk about like some sort of tactical, strategical like pivot thing. So we don't have to pay attention to the ethical dimension at all. I mean, I like what you say. It's like, okay, so Jill Stein is presenting a vision of making the world better. And what you're doing by uh, what people are doing by asking her these questions, well, how do you know about this and this and this? It's like, I'll fucking get there. But my vision is better than this other person's vision. I have a coherent ethical worldview. And that matters in these cases. Well, they always like to portray people who aren't inside the mainstream two parties as some kind of kook. Yeah. You're a kook or you're crazy. And, um, you know, look at look what they they, they did to Gary Johnson because he didn't know Aleppo. <laughs> right. Right. Where the fuck? And how many of those people knew? Like they Googled and then they were like, hi, I know, you know, hey, I, was, I would <laughs> I would say ask George, uh, George Bush, who's fucking where Aleppo is right now. He was president for eight years. He won't know. My father's from Syria and I don't know where the fuck everything is in Syria. <laughs> well, it's like, just that. But that's their, that's so... their narrative. So so Jill Stein, they go after her. Uh, she was at a, sitting at a table with Putin and she said something about uh, vaccines that we can twist 
just to smear her. Yeah. Oh, the Gary Johnson, he's a libertarian. Oh, he uh, he doesn't know where Aleppo is. Yeah. yeah. Really? Do you see the guy we did elect? <laughs> right. Totally. It's just fucking crazy. I mean, and and the woman who we, who was running against him, uh, Hillary Clinton, you goddamn Noel knows she knows where it is because she wants to fucking bomb it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a more, that's a better like. Why do you know? Right. <laughs> why do you know where it is? Because it's in your sights. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I wanted to sort of talk about that in reference to uh, I called the eye in the sky effect sometimes because there's that shitty movie, The Eye in the Sky. Do you know this movie? So it's like. Uh, it's this whole thing. It's this dramatic movie about drones, right? And the governments of the world are watching over this terrorist house, and they see that this terrorist has gone in, and he's getting some like, you know, bombing stuff to you know go blow shit up or whatever. And it's a really gripping movie because they see, okay, he's going into that house and he's going to get his weapons and his bombs and all that shit. But there's a little girl who sells bread outside. And should we bomb the house or should we not bomb the house? These are the hard decisions that the people in the military have to make. And you watch and you're like on the edge of your seat. And then as soon as it's done, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what a bunch of bullshit, like, mm -hmm. choices. Like, we've been led so far into this labyrinth of horrible decisions and inhumane decisions that we think that that's the choices that we have to make. Like, kill the little kid or, like, blow up the terrorists and protect other Yeah, people, those are right? bullshit. What about the 58 kids that were killed in a bus in in, uh, in uh, li li Libya? Yeah. I'm oh, not Libya. What's the... Yemen. Uh-huh. So that was just a couple... That was, like, a month or two ago. <laughs> 58 kids. And that was those drones... Yeah. So that's so, right, right. So that's it's, so it's also a lot more than one kid, right? Yeah. Right. It should have been a school bus outside. Yeah. But the, but the idea being like, there's this. Uh, so there are just these layers of why we're in the situation that we're in now. But I think the most basic one is we accept that those are the kinds of decisions that are complex and complicated. When in fact. Those decisions are rather simple, like the ethical decision to not fucking kill or torture people or bomb people is a simple decision. There are things that have led us into this place where we believe that those are complicated decisions. Right, you know? right, yes. You know, so when people are like, oh, the president has to make yeah. these complex decisions. It's not a Rubik's That's a cube. shield of fucking cowards, yes. I feel like. Yes, you know? you're right. So how do we, so how do we, you know, why do we adopt that? Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out... Because I don't think it's just manipulation. The manipulation is huge, of course. But I think it's also, in some ways, there's a way in which, you know, you'd have to be really dumb to, like, have bought into the entire narrative. You'd have to be really, you'd have to be a politician to have bought into the narrative. Like, you'd have to be really fucking stupid. So why is it that we want this situation that we're in in some way? When, like, when you say the buy into the narrative, what narrative do you mean? I just mean the narrative of these kinds of, like, con like these kinds of, like, uh, no option decisions, whether it's oh, okay. Democrat, Republican, I whether it's it. kill the kid or kill the terrorist. Right. So what you'll you know, often see, what, you, what you'll often see on in, in the news talk shows and in print is um, people debating. They'll say, oh, we have a lot of debate about war. What the debates are about is what kind of war to do. Should right. we bomb more? Should we bomb less? Mm -hmm. What kind of bombing should we do? But you always have to be for some kind of bombing. Mm -hmm. You can't come in and say, hey, have we tried peace? Like, what? what get that guy out of here. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're not allowed to talk about. So like, even in so so when I question Assad's gassing his own people, people are like, "Why would you do that?" Well, it's because the whole war is mm. bullshit. Mm. No one asks themselves, "Why do?" So I, I the 
there was a headline the other day in The Hill, and it said, uh, uh, the United States' new policy on Syria. And I'm like, why do we have a policy on Syria? <laughs> right, totally. Why do we have an old totally. one? Why do we have a new one? Why do we have a policy on Syria? No. And people don't ask that. They go, oh, we got to go in there because we have to save those people. Assad is butchering them, right? Yeah. But what's really happening in, in uh, Syria is he's a secular government. Saudi Arabia wants to put a pipeline through there, and uh, Israel also wants to destabilize them because they're friendly with Iran. So now the CIA takes millions, if not billions of dollars, goes and funds a bunch of literally fucking jihadists, just like we did in Afghanistan. We we built Al-Qaeda, right? Mm. And then Al-Qaeda comes back and, and attacks us. Mm. So same thing with ISIS. So we're literally funding ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Syria to knock off Assad at the behest of Israel and Saudi Arabia. And no one will tell you that. They're, they say people literally... I was on a show with a guy who's a famous comedian. He literally believed we were in Syria because we were trying to help people. Yeah, I mean, it's just fucking how stupid can you be? Yeah. After every war in your lifetime has been a fucking lie from Vietnam to the first Gulf War to mm -hmm. Panama to fucking Grenada to this yeah. to the Iraq to Libya mm -hmm. to with they're all bullshit. So Syria is just a, so that's why I'm like and then you have then you then they have to get us. Well, we got to get the United States involved. How do we do it? We create a tragedy. Well, in the first Gulf War, they said soldiers were taking babies out of incubators. <laughs> in this one, we say uh, in this one, we'll say, oh, oh, oh we said it was uh, that the, he's gassing his own people just yeah. like that. So uh, I, I asked those questions. And uh, other people, you're not going to see those questions on mainstream news. And if it does get out, they get, that person's never asked back. Phil Donahue got the Iraq war right. Why? You think he'd be on every news show? Everybody, why is Noam Chomsky, right. who's considered right. the leading intellectual in the right. world, he's never on any of those shows. Right. He's never asked about any, he's never given op-eds. Right. And So it, the, 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 there is an establishment media, and they're not your fucking friend. Right, and then you, so, get, you get people like... David Frum or whomever, you know, writing these huge articles for a magazine that is run by a former Israeli prison, government prison guard, you know, who has supported Israel all along. So you have like, why I bring that up is you have these like media sources that are fed to us as leftist media sources like the Atlantic, they're, and then you have it's like a, it's hilarious. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, at all. They're at all. Not right. just like MSNBC. They're not left. Right. They're not progressive. They're a fucking. They they are a money making arm mm. of a huge corporation, which is why Ali Veshi didn't really know how net neutrality worked when he was talking about it on on MSNBC. Which I know he knows exactly how it works, but he was playing dumb. And a lot of guys made videos about mm -hmm. it because Comcast doesn't want net neutrality because they per, they're an internet provider. So now everybody at MSNBC <laughs> has to pretend like they don't know what is it good, is it bad. I don't know. They, just like with the war. So there, it's mm -hmm. that's why my show is popular. It's tough for people. You know why do people go along with it? Because propaganda is ubiquitous. Just like Chomsky taught us in uh, manufacturing consent is that. The, the role of the media is to make you feel like your ideas and the thoughts that you have about things no one else has because your thoughts are never reflected back in the media. Mm -hmm. Nobody's sitting there going, hey, hey, I'm sitting there going, why are we, why do we have a policy mm -hmm. on Syria anyway? No one's ever going to say that on news and on TV. Mm -hmm. That's never going to be reflected back to you. Mm -hmm. It will be reflected back to you on YouTube from a guy like me mm -hmm. or a guy like Kyle Kalinsky or a guy like Mike Figueredo. They might reflect it back to you and that's why they're shutting us down. Just, just the, just the, when you say they're shutting us down, what do you mean? Well, right, the fact that algorithms are done in secret.
Right. Yeah. Right. It's already right. a scandal. Right. <laughs> so we don't know how they're pushing people's shows. And so right now, it used to be you would go on YouTube and you would watch a clip from CNN. It would have about 200 hits or 200 views or, you know, less maybe. Now they have 3 million, 5 million. And you know mm -hmm. why? Because YouTube is pushing those shows and they're trying to squelch us. So they have new algorithms. So they, they literally unsubscribe people from our shows by the 10,000 every month. They unsubscribe from mm -hmm. my channel. Meanwhile, people are being subscribed to shows they never wanted to, meaning CNN, meaning, uh, BuzzFeed, meaning Time Mag. All those, all these people that have YouTube channels, they're now being subscribed to them and they didn't fucking ask for it. Yeah, I think it's important because I have heard you talk about this before, and I think it's important that maybe you talk a little bit more about what happened because say somebody listens to the show, they don't know you, right? Um, they, they're coming to the show for me. They're learning about you on the show. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, that dude's just upset that his numbers are going down. No, right? my numbers are and still it, going up. And, right, right. <laughs> so, that's, so, so that's – but I know that – I know because of the details – of other people's experiences as well. That's not that's not so. But can you explain that a little bit more? The actual like what's actually happening. In so there was a time when YouTube would help you. They would be your partner. Yeah. And they would. And if people like your videos, they would. They real. They they have algorithms that recognize how long people watch your video, how much they right. like it, how many comments are on it. So they can tell, and they and they can also tell by those people's backgrounds who like your videos, uh, what kind of people like your videos. So they can now push more videos, right? So they can help push your video in front of people who they think will like your video. Right. So they were your partner. They were helping you. And so now they're not really doing... So, so then what I explained earlier about the advertising. So they wrote, they wrote an article, like I think it was in the Wall Street Journal maybe, and it was all about how these extremist channels on YouTube are running commercials by these mainstream... So how it works on YouTube, if people don't know, mm. is that if you have a channel, which I do... And you click monetize this video. Mm -hmm. Now YouTube will put will put commercials on your video, you know, and and then you get revenue from it. Now there's a lot of ins and outs about that go on about that. It's not that simple, but that's that's basically the the the, the deal. So um, well, now what the fuck was I saying? Well, I was just asking you like what were the ins and outs of the subscriber oh, number going down because right. I I that's a real phenomenon and I think people need to like hear yeah, more about so, it. Yeah. So so what look, they're going back to they used to be your partner. So now what they're doing is so there was that article written in the Wall Street Journal about how there's these ads being on these channels. So then they did what they called adpocalypse. Uh -huh. So what YouTube did was they just if you were doing independent news or and even people are doing like Shows about marijuana, whatever. Or my friend Kyle Kalinske does a show called Secular Talk. So secular, that was a, one of the words they put in their algorithm to strike a video. So every one of his videos got demonetized. <laughs> so, now, so now we all have this business model built on YouTube being our partner and putting advertising because yeah. our videos are popular. Yeah. And if your videos aren't popular, you don't make any money. And YouTube doesn't make any money, so they don't give it. But ours are. And so, uh, and we're doing news. And so, but now they're now they're actually suppressing us mm -hmm. uh, because of the bad press about uh, the 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 the, uh, f the what do you call radical channels? And that's why I said they'll go to a Nazi channel, they'll go to a white supremacist channel, they'll go to a pedophile channel, and then they'll stick in a news guy, right? Right. right. And they try to make everybody look like Alex Jones, right? And, and I was wondering, by the way, I just want to say not to worry you more about it, but I was wondering because I was, you know, in preparation for the show, like really immersing myself in Jimmy Dore. <laughs> But the, like, 
on the videos, like a bunch of them, like Prager U, like popped up before your videos, right, right. which is like a conservative. Yeah, so heavily. And so I was thinking, so now people like go to this. If again, if they're un- unfamiliar, they're like, oh, is Jimmy Dore like a conservative? Like right. the selection of the ads too, and I'm that's speculation, but it was notable, you know. So I get, uh, I'm proud of the fact that. I give, of course, a lot of progressives. I'm very popular with progressives. But also, a lot of people who are conservatives like the show because they, just like a lot of conservatives like Bernie, because uh-huh. he wasn't bought and he told the truth, uh-huh. that's why they, they like that. I mean, they go, hey, I don't agree with a lot of what you say, but I like that you're honest. Mm-hmm. And so they watch my show because I'm honest. And some people try to criticize me for that. They go, oh, well, you have a bunch of right-wingers that listen to your show or watch your show. And I'm like, I'm like, well, isn't that a good idea to try to attract people and expose them to right. my progressive sure, ideas? Sure. So now they come, they come because I do a video criticizing the Democratic Party or Barack Obama or Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. They come for that. And then they also get, hey, Medicare for all. Right. Hey, uh, um, uh, maybe a living wage is a good idea. Hey, you know, Wall Street is effing us. Hey, you know, climate change is real. Hey, you know, we could actually have a Green New Deal. Hey, you know, there's enough money to go around. And I say stuff like, what do you call us? Because I talk about capitalism as a failing system. And I and people go, well, it, it just mind blows people's mind. I go, well, what do you call a system that takes the richest country the history of the world has ever known, the United States, the richest country ever, and you render half of its population poor or low income, 80% of its workers living paycheck to paycheck, and 30 million of them are without health care. What do you call that system? That's a fucking failed system. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is a failed fucking system. Yeah. And that's what we have right now, and it is fucking unbridled capitalism, and it has failed. Yeah, and I think that what you're saying, too, with the just sort of bringing people over is the recognition that... Um, one of the right ways to do organizing is not ask that people completely abolish your their own culture to be part of a universal goal. So it's like we can be we can have universal goals that are about healthcare, that are about these you know certain whatever universal goals we need to have, you know that aren't dependent on me saying you can't have your culture. So there's this group called a. Uh, Redneck Revolt, I think they're called. You know them, so they're like basically they're like hunting like rednecks or whatever. But mm-hmm. they join in on socialist, socialist communist oh, really? causes because yeah, because they're like we don't we want the same things ultimately. There might be like particulars about cultural stuff that we're going to need to right. talk about, but let's not get ditched into that kind of bizarro like nationalism based around political parties. Let's have universal goals that we can work on together. Well, just like I said, the majority of Republicans now are for Medicare for all. Yeah. Uh, and that's why a lot of those guys who are, uh, you know, there's something, there's, there's principled conservatives. Sure. And, uh, you know, those people were the ones who were attracted to Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. And that's the kind of that. And I think if those people can come together, the Bernie Sanders people and the principled conservatives who like the fact that he's not bought and they're also against corruption. Uh, I think you can get some real stuff done. We could maybe end the wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that that's... They're for, a lot of people voted for Trump because he said he was a non-interventionist, meaning he kept yes. saying, we're going to get us out of Afghanistan, yes. we're going to get us out of the Middle East, and that's what the people want. You know who doesn't want that? The military-industrial complex and Wall Street. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that was a real... My, my friend Gordon White, who's been on the show, really pushed that. He was just like, look, you just... If you're going to vote, like, vote against war. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Right. Like, this has got to be the bottom line of your of, of your ideal here. And I, I think that that's it, too. Like, the way when we talk about 
uh, I've had a lot of guests on the show talking about capitalism, but I haven't had as many talking about anti-imperialism, even though those two things are like wrapped up mm -hmm. with, with yes. one another completely because the imperialistic <laughs> engine is what, is what runs and supports and makes possible the entire capitalist system. But I, I think that that is something that we need to pay attention to more and more and more and forefront it. You know, I mean, I definitely am excited to talk about workers' rights and labor rights and healthcare and all those kinds of things. But I think that exposing like the war machine as like what actually makes that function, that makes that run too, is really important. So, you know, what else is a statistic that kind of blows people's mind talking about the war machine is since the height of the Iraq war, at the height of the Iraq war, we were spending $500 billion a year on our military. We're now spending 700. Uh -huh. So that is a $200 billion increase, a 40% increase yeah. in our military spending since the height of the Iraq war. And there's, there's no town halls about it. There's no op-eds about it. There's no uh, lengthy conversations. There's no screaming matches on news shows. There's nothing. They just do it and they all go along. Yeah. They all go along with the bloated military budget. And let me tell you something else. Russia, who, the, who the, these same people who vote for that bill budget want you to believe is our number one enemy, they spend about $45 billion a year on their military. Uh -huh. and, and another statistic, um, uh, God, and it's in this great book called War Against the People, but it's drawn from another source, um, which is that since the Clinton era, the casualties in war have shifted dramatically to becoming around 90% civilian casualties. Yeah. Right? So it used to be soldier right. casualties, which is also horrific and stupid. Right. But now when we talk about going to war, who are we going to go war with? We're going to kill innocent people. Yeah, it's never, it's always a war against the people. Well, the it's drones, never, most yeah. of the people killed by drones totally. are innocent people. And then we, we point the finger at uh, Al-Qaeda and other, they're the bad, because they're, what, because they're using knives? They're going to cut your, <laughs> right. they're going to cut your right. head off with a butcher knife. Why don't they use a nice Christian bomb? <laughs> totally. If only they could just bomb the entire village <laughs> like we do. Right. Yeah, it's like seeing someone, I mean, not to glorify like some Al-Qaeda fucking asshole, but it's like seeing someone dressed as like a samurai and then just like, you know, fighting someone who has a machine gun that mows down everybody standing around in the crowd. Like, that's a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have tow missiles. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think... I mean, look at the, the stuff that Chelsea Manning revealed. I mean, that's the, that's what we're doing. Uh-huh. You know, we're up in helicopters shooting these big guns at these at reporters. at, at And then they do double taps, right? So you kill a bunch of people. And then the Red Cross mm -hmm. or whoever or the people come to help, you kill them, too, which is a war crime. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It's called well, a double tap. Especially when those protests in... Uh, when the protests in Palestine... Israel were happening, yeah. and they shot. They shot the medics. They shot the medics right yeah. in the chest. Yeah, yeah. and everybody's like, well, "But so, if, but if that was uh, happening in Syria, we'd have to go to war." Yeah. Okay. So with people like you, <laughs> who I have on the show, who are actually really knowledgeable about a lot of the specifics and particulars that are going on in the world, I like to ask a broad question about what we can do about what's to be done, because you know the critique is. The critique is really present from people, you know, who are on the Young Turks, on RT, well, previously on Telesur, all that sort of stuff. And but I think that we and or someone like Noam Chomsky or whatever. But I think it's it's important to talk about what we can do and by what we can do. I, of course, mean broader political strategies, but I also, like, what can we do when we listen to a podcast and get pissed off about something? You well, know? I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, 
I think that we've been putting too much focus on electoral solutions. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what's happening in France right now, that's the real solution. Mm -hmm. uh, you you, you got to get out in the streets and you got to shut shit down. You got to make capitalism stop. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. They've been doing it for four weeks. And I don't know if you heard, but Macron just buckled. Yeah, yeah. So he's got rid of that gas tax. Uh, he's also going to take the tax off of pensions. He also is going to raise the minimum wage by 100 euros a month. And guess who, Guess how they're going to pay for it? The employers aren't going to pay for it. The government's going to just pay them. Yeah. Sounds like a universal basic income, uh, uh -huh, doesn't it? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right? So they're already doing it in France, universal bank. That's what that is. The government's like, don't worry, we're going to raise everybody's pay. Mm -hmm. And don't worry, the capitalists don't have to pay it. We're going to pay it. Mm -hmm. So they've already won. So that's what we really need. And we and we need to get so the last time we did it was Occupy Wall Street. Right. And that was really ineffectual. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was that was no leaders and people just sitting there. You got to get out in the streets and stop traffic. You yeah. got to get out and shut down, shut capitalism down. And you're going to have to have some confrontations that that's not, I'm not saying you start you cause them, but you have to be ready for them because the police are going to come at you and crack your heads. Right. And, they, and they'll do that whether you're just sitting there or whether they're going to hit do that. They're they going to do it anyway. They right. crack their heads for sitting there anyway. And I, I mean, I think with Occupy, like the way I talk about that, I think it was really and, you know, I was involved very, very minorly. But like, you know, I think that it's like the. The way the thing that was so heartening to me about that was that it served as sort of a training ground for a lot of uh, organizers and the way that people think and organize now and build movements now. And so, like, for me, it was a success in that sense. But I think that when you when you get to <laughs> when you get to this idea of like protesting, I mean, I think that people say, oh, well, it doesn't really do anything. And that's what I always try to bring them. It's like, you know, when we had the protests here in L.A. after Trump won and people were like. Oh, we, you know, we shouldn't have Trump as president. I thought, okay, well, that, that part is done. Like, the idea that, like, the election went down and people just don't want the president to be the president is done because you're supporting the system. But those people were there with people who were saying get rid of the Electoral College, with people who were saying get rid of the entire fucking election system, get rid of the office of the presidency. All these people were in the same place at the same time. And I think that that is actually really generative, even if the protest, quote unquote, doesn't work. It's the only place where a conversation like that might happen. You know? Well, it would have been nice, very much like the John Stewart when he had the um, March for Sanity in Washington, D.C., uh, um, the big mistake was that it wasn't about anything. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I feel the same thing about the, the march, right? So that was the, they call it the woman's march. And it was because, I, I guess, because Trump's a misogynist or what have you. Yeah. But um, all I was the, talking about the, the immediately post-election march that we had downtown oh, in L.A. But yeah, but the women's yeah, that, march. That was one in January. That was in January. It's like 700,000 people, right? No, no, no. This You're thinking a, of a different one? Yeah, this was like right after the election. This was before the year. This, this oh, this was in November? Ended. Yeah, November, December of okay. 2016. Yeah. So, but what I'm saying saying uh is that we need to get out in the streets mm. people need but it needs to be focused right mm -hmm. so these people the the green uh, or the yellow vests in france they had a list of demands they uh -huh. knew exactly what they wanted and when macron uh caved on the gas tax they're like not enough right right they kept going 
And I wonder if I bet they still keep going because they have a lot more demands. Yeah, we'll and see. Some, we'll see where it's at when this show comes. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And one of their yeah. demands is stop fucking the, these adventurous wars. Uh-huh. That Fran- people don't realize France is involved in all oh, this totally, shit. Totally. Yeah. yeah, they are. Well, what? So, but do you think that that? I mean, France's history of successful protest and demand is different than ours, but also Correct. geographically, like, I mean, it's not as if we haven't had successful protests and demands met here, especially by unions, but when, but when you have, like, a country that that's this big, I often fall into a place of, like, we're just going to have to break up into smaller countries. It like, wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. I, honest to God, that wouldn't be a bad idea. You know what I said? Uh, I used to have a joke. I forget how it goes now. But the gist of it was that uh, I, I say we, we, we try to have another civil war. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and so when we show up to fight, uh, we just go, okay, you know what? Uh, we give you win. You get to have your own country. Uh-huh. So they get to have all their country with all their no pollution laws and no edu- free education and no health care and no everything. And we'll have all that shit here. We'll have Medicare for all. Uh-huh. We'll have universal <laughs> co- co- education. We'll have uh, uh, regulations on our fossil fuel. Mm. Uh, we'll, and then we'll compare countries after 10 years. Mm. And we'll see who has the better country. Right, right. I think that would be, <laughs> be great. Especially like you just don't go to war. Like you get to the battlefield mm-hmm. and you're like, let's just let's just yeah. give it let's yeah. just both get what we want right yeah and then, but then also i think with the office of the presidency is the other thing i was almost wondering like if you know it doesn't look like it's going to happen now but i was very excited when trump was elected i was like maybe actually this will be this will actually dissolve that office because it's completely it's completely useless like when you look at the way other countries run Having a person that has this weird mix of figurehead and power is kind of it's it seems really off to me, but also it really protects everybody that's behind the scenes running the show. It's like a distraction or a diversion somehow. Well what's really bad is the Senate. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Senate's also bad. <laughs> That it's, is, it's, it's also bad. You know, so so a place like Wyoming, which has less people in it than my congressional district. Uh-huh. Yeah. They get two senators. Yeah. They have one congressperson from Wyoming, two senators. Uh-huh. They're overrepresented in the Senate. It's not one man, one vote. It's some men, one vote. Some men, many, many, many votes. Yeah. And that's what the Senate is. And it's it's not a, represent, a representative body. It's there for the oligarchs. And that's why we have such a fuck. Most of the people, like I said, nine out of ten Democrats want Medicare for all. The majority of Republicans want it. We ain't getting it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I want to say the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the corporate capture of our government, that's the big reason. But we also have disproportionate representation. People in Montana and Wyoming and North and South Dakota, they have way more power than they should. Mm. And, and people go, well, uh, it's good. It's good that we have the Electoral College in the Senate, Jimmy, because then people, everybody in New York and California would dictate things. When you say dictate, you mean we would vote for leaders right. and the winner would be our fucking leader? Right. You mean like a democracy? Right, right. No, I actually saw you tweeting back and forth about that with someone yeah. the other day. I was like, yeah, I don't I didn't know dictate. to say that. Well, then everybody, well, then, you know, we would just, we just have to run things by the vote, <laughs> by voting for it. Right, totally. How dare you? What an iron fist. <laughs> Could you imagine if they did that in a side of a city? Some people who lived in this part of the city get ten times more votes, yeah. and they, because no one wants to live in that part of the city. 
Uh-huh. So they get more votes? Fuck, that would never fly with anybody. But I think that that does point to, like, just the basic problem with having a country that's this large and this this different. I mean, I just drove around the country for three months and I got back and I was like, this place is fucking huge and it is so different everywhere. It uh, is so different People everywhere. don't realize. So I was just in Italy. Uh, Italy is slightly bigger than Arizona. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Totally. It's it's, it's so you're like it's what? Right, exactly. And you see all the cool places in Italy yeah. and Arizona's got like two. Yeah. And they've also got their own fucking set of problems just trying to manage something that size. Right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I so I think that these are good questions or good things to think about because the the problem for me with thinking that someone like Hillary Clinton will change things dramatically or whatever is this marginal this this strategy of sort of marginally different representative leaders will only ever bring marginal change, right? Right. So asking questions like these and thinking about things like this, even if I can't implement like, you know, the potlatch of meeting everybody and giving them all the shit that they want, and then we all have different countries with different laws, like, it's still important for me to think of that because I need to get out of my marginal change mindset because it's not worthwhile and it doesn't get us anywhere. I mean, it's just, a, it just... Right, so... Well, what, uh, Rod Placone said something. There's, oh, and I'm going to butcher it, but basically, what he's saying there's nothing pragmatic about proposing solutions that aren't big enough to of our problems. Right. Yeah. So we need uh, solutions that are proportional to the size of our problems. And fighting for Obamacare is not the fucking solution to the. Our problems right. are way bigger. Thirty million Americans don't have health care under Obamacare. Most people, when they go bankrupt in this country, it's because of medical bills. And most of those people have health insurance. So the the solution right. they're proposing right. is not half as big as the problem. So we need solutions that are commensurate to our problems. Yeah, I think uh, you know. Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was talking about this recently as well. She was like, we have to, like, have the courage to be ambitious here. Otherwise, we're fucked, you know, basically. She was with, you know, Bernie Sanders when she was talking Mm -hmm. about this. And, I mean, for... and, and And also, I think the courage to assert ignorance. Like, I really, as... As upset as I was with some of some of the aspects of the statement, when she said something about Israel-Palestine, she said, well, I think Palestine is an occupied territory and we should treat people well, blah, blah, but I'm not really an expert. I thought it takes courage to assert the ignorance of your – like we were talking about Jill's mm-hmm. time before – courage to assert the ignorance in couple with a vision of, yeah, but we should be not – you know, shooting down people, <laughs> kill, killing innocent people. And I think that that's – you know – my strategy in general is like think big and then sort of work it backwards into tactics rather than like, oh, maybe we'll get there someday right. if we just I'm, do this little I'm, thing here and there. I like you know? how you think. Yeah. I agree with that. Good. Yes. Yeah, so you so you <laughs> have to think big. You have to like when Bernie would start every speech and his, his primary campaign, sounds like you're ready for a revolution. Yes, totally. Yeah, we were. Unfortunately, Bernie didn't really mean it. Well, right, and and also he didn't recognize. I don't think he missed nor this did, moment. Nor did people who are that it's happening. Whether it's going to it's change is coming. Either, yes, it's either going to happen with us kicking and screaming or us coming together to find right. worthwhile solutions that you said are commensurate with the problems that face us. And let me tell you something: if Bernie Sanders, by some miracle of God, overcomes the cheating and the rigging. Uh-huh. <laughs> that the corporatist capitalists and the Democratic Party is going to do to him. 
if he does win and he becomes president, I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen the next day. The next day there will be a third party. Uh-huh. And that third uh-huh. party is going to be corporatists. Uh-huh. And it's going to be made up of people like uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Chuck Schumer and Nancy <laughs> Pelosi and uh-huh. Nara Tandon. And that's who's going to be that. And that they're going to call themselves the old Democrats. Whatever the fuck they're going to call themselves. Right. But there will be another Classical party. Democrats. <laughs> right. So everybody who's, who's progressives, once they cheat us and we lose, you're not supposed to be a child. Don't do your third party bullshit. But I guarantee you, right, totally. if, some, if, they, if Bernie Sanders manages to overcome the cheating and he does become president, there will be a third party the next fucking day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it'll be those corporatist Democrats. Yeah, well, they'll organize at first as sort of a protest, as sort of a, like a protest, like when they s- s- courageously <clears throat> sat on the sat on the floor, like what Macron when did. They, yeah, when they sat on the floor, when it was like uh, <laughs> for there was like the the gun the gun oh, laws yeah. going through, and it was like oh, uh, it was for background checks on people that were on the terror yeah. watch. They're occupying Congress, right? The, the Congress, and it was just the dumbest so thing. That, so they'll do that too, like something that's completely ineffectual, and then they'll use that as the springboard. No, that's probably that's yeah. Probably imagine true. if they were in there sitting down and occupying Congress over Medicare for all. Yeah. Right, hey, the whole totally. country wants this. Why don't we give it to them finally? Yeah, there were a lot of opportunities for you guys to sit down on yeah, the fucking floor. A lot of opportunities. You know? Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, I'm so happy to have you on the show and to get to talk to you. Today. That was a pleasure. And, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, everybody, please watch uh, or listen because it's also still in podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm still on the radio. It's show's still. Yeah. It goes out on KPFK 90.7 here on Fridays. At uh, 5 p.m. and across the country at different times. But you can always catch me at jimmydorecomedy.com or our YouTube show, youtube.com slash the Jimmy Dore Show. And support Jimmy on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Jimmy Dore. Right? I'm sure they'll make up their own minds about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will say you should do it then if Jimmy doesn't want to say it. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Yeah, all right. Take okay. care.